Green Eggs and Horror content warning. Stories may contain adult language, adult situations, violence, and awesome. If you can't handle any of these things I just listed, I'd turn it off now. Good. Now it's just us. I'm Pete Nixon, and this is Green Eggs and Horror. especially attuned to these frequencies. Well, for those of you that can hear me, today's story is written and read by Davin Creed. Davin also produced the music for today's story, just like every other story in Green Eggs and Horror so far. He's done an amazing job. There are going to be three installments of this story because of its sheer size, but it's going to be worth it, I promise you. And now the first part of Morton Hears a Cthulhu. Morton Hears a Cthulhu Written and read by Davin Creed Five senses are all we have to experience the world. Five unreliable senses. Not only are they unreliable, but these senses are limited in what they can detect. 2.5 billion people on this planet, most thinking that they've conquered the unknown with their homes, automobiles, technology, and weapons. They don't see the things right next to them, just beyond their sight. That luckily also cannot see them. The touches people can just barely feel. All of the things that brush against and pass through them. All the noises that could be heard if people could hear only a little beyond their ability. There are a few that can see, hear, smell, feel, and taste beyond what normal people can. Those few who are most able to warn the rest of humanity about the dangers are locked away with the insane and tortured by men in lab coats, their warnings ignored as delusions. Millions of square miles of dense jungle sits in the middle of South America, called the Amazon Rainforest, homes to ancient ruins, ungodly amounts of plants, insects, and animals. And Morton, who couldn't care less to be here if he was paid, which he was. He was being paid to be here. Morton wasn't paid much, but the pay on top of first-hand knowledge for his doctorate was too tempting to pass up. Brown University had wanted him. Well, not Morton specifically, his professor and several other academics, to investigate this forsaken place. And for what? Insects, mostly. Why are you heading out so late? Allison Higgs asked Morton as he was passing by on the way out. Morton liked Allison. She was easy to get along with and wasn't difficult to talk to. It wasn't that Morton hated other people. 
He honestly liked most people. He just didn't like talking to them. I heard about a small building down the way about a mile, Morton answered. I figured I can scope it out and then head back before sundown. The truth was, Morton was getting a little anxious around everyone else. But you can't tell people that. They just get offended, which just made Morton even more anxious. Allison tossed him a flashlight. You better take that. You know, just in case. Thanks, Morton said with a smile while quickly turning the flashlight on and then off to make sure it worked. Allison seemed to be the only one here more concerned about people than insects. Morton pulled his pack off, opened it up, and placed the flashlight inside. He started walking while he put the pack back on and waved to Allison. I should be back in less than two hours. It was 3.22 p.m. on the 15th of May, 1953. It was a hot 82.4 degrees. That doesn't sound too hot, but with all the humidity, it felt like being boiled alive. It hadn't stopped raining for three days, and that break only lasted a few minutes. It was a foreign land where Morton could barely speak four words of the native language. He was left to trusting the interpreter the Brown University sent down with the group, as well as the professor's moderate ability to speak the language. In short, everything on top of Morton's hate list was here, and the only thing he was getting out of it was something he was now thinking that he could have easily gotten from the comfort of his desk. Nothing in particular set off Morton's anxiety this time. Nothing that changed for the last few weeks. People just going about their business. Only the occasional squabbles came up over something silly. Most of the time, everyone got along swimmingly. His anxiety just seemed to build up, and he knew he'd explode if he didn't do something. Walking alone in the jungle was one of the somethings he did most often. At first, people were concerned about his lonely walks out into the jungle. But the more he did it, the fewer concerns they seemed to have, or at least the fewer concerns they'd bring up to him. Almost everything that made Morton anxious was here. People, bugs, heat, rain, and bugs again. Brown University wanted to fund an expedition to capture and log insect species that had yet to be identified to lift the status of the university. Of course, that wasn't the reason that they'd ever put to paper. The acceptable reason had something to do with expanding human knowledge and some flim-flam about the march forward for understanding. Anyone not so easily fooled could tell that the real reason was to get more students, and with more students came more money. That isn't to say something good couldn't also come from the pursuit. However, Morton thought that they should at least be honest about it. Morton wasn't particularly qualified for this task. His doctorate was in anthropology, but Brown University had a shortage of willing and able persons who knew anything about the Amazon rainforest, which was the topic of Morton's thesis. But for anthropology, not for insects. And Morton didn't think he'd have to actually go there for his doctorate. Plenty of people who got their doctorates didn't have to leave their labs for their thesis. Morton expected to be one of them. From afar, Morton loved everything about the Amazon rainforest. It was being this close and dredging through the middle of it that he hated. And the insects. No matter how many insects he killed for attacking him, they kept coming. A relentless army of annoyance and discomfort. That didn't even begin to cover the hundreds of known insects that are deadly. Back home, mosquitoes and flies are disgusting enough. The insects down here were monstrous nightmares by comparison. Bites and heat and insects flying into his nose and the humidity and the tiny little things flying into his face, ears, and any exposed skin. He began slapping his face even when he didn't feel anything. He just started slapping randomly. He was just about to scream aloud and commit himself fully to an insane fit, but he fell. Right into a pond. Not the bright, clear, and peaceful ponds one imagines in a fairy tale or even just a normal forest. No, 
This pond had to be equally as monstrous as the insects of the place. Algae lined the sides, one side of which was an ancient ruined wall. Morton noticed something, or, more accurately, stopped noticing something. The insatiable insects took a reprieve from devouring him. Was it because of the water? Even he knew that still water was the ideal breeding and birthing grounds of some of the most vile insects, so that couldn't be it. But there was more. The jungle that was incessantly chirping and buzzing with the patterns of life and death fell silent. He couldn't even hear the wind. The rain just so happened to have stopped. He couldn't even hear water dripping. Dripping always followed the rain. There was hardly a time when water wasn't falling on him from somewhere. Except for now. The peace was almost as maddening as the onslaught of insects a few moments before. He started making for the edge of the pond when he heard a sound that froze him. It was so faint, he was surprised to hear it over his sloshing. Then nothing. Several minutes went by with him sitting still. He knew that he'd have to get out of the water. There were probably hundreds of disgusting things climbing all about his legs by now, attaching themselves to his skin to suck him dry. But that noise was so unlike anything he's heard in this jungle. Hell, so different than anything he's ever heard. He began to wonder if the sound was just his imagination. Then he heard it again. This time he tried to define it so that he could remember it more accurately. Was that a voice? Was it a beast? Too human to be a beast. It sounded like a man with a deep gravelly voice. That's how I'll describe it. Though he was sure it was a voice, it was too quiet for him to make out the words. But he suspected it was likely he wouldn't know the language anyway. Hello? He called out. He knew there were millions of people living in the Amazon and he was down on expedition with a small group from the university. But something he couldn't explain told him not to expect it to be anything remotely familiar. Thinking himself silly, he finally started for the shore of the pond when he heard it louder. What? He yelled out. I can't understand you! As if in answer, the voice came again, but not quite so loud as the last time. This time, though, he thought he could determine the direction, which seemed to be from the ruined wall. He waited to the moss-covered ruined wall, going deeper and deeper until the water was up to his armpits. The voice called again. This time he was sure it originated from under the wall, under the water. He took a deep breath and went under to have a look. The ruined wall had a door submerged a good two feet below the water. While examining the doorway, he heard it again, distinctly coming from inside. Fear gripped him, causing him to lose his breath and begin shaking. He stood back up for air and decided to think about the situation. Everything, including his sanity, was on the table as far as he was concerned. The voice again. Yeah, hold on a minute, will ya? He replied as he turned away from the ruins to think. Could there be a person that needed help in there? How deep was it, and how would he even help if he got there? Then, of course, the most obvious answer to him was that he was hallucinating from his anxiety triggered by people tormenting insects, rain, and heat. But what could it hurt to take a little peek down there, if only briefly? Morton wasn't a good Samaritan, wasn't even particularly religious, but the thought of being trapped and suffocating to death in some kind of underwater ruin ran a shiver down his spine and caused him to feel cold in spite of the almost blood-boiling temperatures. Though he thought about thinking about it, his body started to dive down and take a look before his mind had decided it was a task better suited for professionals than some scrawny anthropologist. Even though he didn't feel like he'd actually decided, his mind gave no protest to the urge to descend into the darkness of the ruin. At least at first. 
He wasn't underwater for more than 15 seconds when his mind caught up to what he was doing and started to panic. He was diving into an unknown place where there might not even be air, and he could barely see a few feet in front of his face. Looking back up, light from the pond was still visible, and though he decided to head to it, another part of his mind took control of his body. His curiosity trumped his fear and he went deeper. Half a minute and deeper into the ruin, he saw another light. His breath almost gone, he went for it and came out of the water in a room larger than he expected. Not amazingly large, just bigger than he expected. It was squarish and spanned about 40 by 30 feet and about 5 or so feet high. The room was lit from tiny holes in the ceiling that cast shafts of light into the water, which in turn danced on the walls. There was no one down here, but there was an odd-looking spherical artifact perched on top of a stand near the far wall. Morton could just barely make out the shape of it from where he was. There didn't seem to be anything of interest other than all the intricate carvings on the walls, so he swam for the orb. The light coming from the ceiling and bouncing off the water gave the whole room an unstable look. With the light dancing all over, Morton was getting a little nauseous. The object was dark, a little shiny and spherical, with many curious inscriptions and images all over it. The voice was getting louder as he got closer to it. He thought he could now almost make out something from it. Then he touched the sphere and it went deathly silent. Even more silent than he had been when he first fell into the pond. He picked up the sphere and turned it over in his hands, trying to take in all the details etched over the whole of its surface. He knew of no description of such a thing, not for this area or any other. The voice came so loud that it startled him into dropping the sphere. The splash seemed to silence the voice. Vishgrel? Morton repeated, bending down to pick up the sphere. He carried it all the way back to camp, hoping himself still sane. Morton's focus was mostly on the orb as he made his way back to camp. He was lucky he didn't get lost. Davin Creed currently is and always will be heavily influenced by Dr. Seuss, Isaac Asimov, Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, and his own nightmares. Davin writes mostly dark stories. If you like this story, Davin Creed has also been published in Bette Noir's Edgar Allan Poe-inspired anthology called In Poe's Shadow. Thanks to Davin Creed, who narrated today's story, wrote and produced the intro music as well as the soundtrack for today's story, and to Heather Nixon, who wrote and produced the outro music. If you like what we're doing, please leave us a review and share this with your friends. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in a physical copy or a digital copy, you can find Green Eggs and Horror on Amazon, Kindle, and on greeneggsandhorror.com. Green Eggs and Horror is released under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives U.S. license. That means you can give it away and share it however you like. 
but don't take credit for it. Change it or sell it.